Hello everyone, welcome to episode 13, the series finale of OSUZ 504's Freelance, the Anti-Romance. Remember, if you like this story, it's available on Amazon.com and at www.osuz504.tech. That's osuz504.tech. Ozzy has a ton of other stuff up there as well, so check out some of its other works. And March 23rd through March 27th, pick up a free copy of Ozzy's new story, Sun on Snow, available on the website and Amazon.com. This one is another almost romance involving PTSD, Afghanistan, a mild amount of human trafficking, and some girl-on-girl action. Also, Ozzy has a couple of nonfiction articles published, and it's posted those links there for your perusal as well. So for any of you that are into that nonsense, go check it out. Ozzy will also be starting up a science and technologies blog to discuss emerging areas of interest that it's got. Real futuristic, cool stuff to talk about in the field of environmental engineering, just for those of you not into fiction. Now, let's wrap up this story with section three. You're no gym dark magic, and those aren't fucking doves. Elena was playing with Igor. Igor, fetch, she said, tossing a little rubber ball. The robot brought it back to her. Erica had made him sort of fat and round, like an overweight puppy. Kitty looked on in disgust. Igor, bring me a glass of water. The robot rolled its fat little self to Marcus, a blue light indicating thirst lit up on the protuberance around its head. It bumped his foot gently when he failed to respond. Clearly he, and not the robot, was supposed to go and get her something to drink. Erica, I thought you were going to make this thing to help around the house, not just give me more to do. She ignored him. Erica was sprawled out, partially underneath the coffee table, methodically lighting matches one by one, inhaling deeply and letting each burn down to her fingers. Marcus looked at Elena. What is she doing? Elena shrugged. Maybe she likes the smell? Correct, chimed in Erica. How do you describe the smell of sulfur? It's delicious. Brimstone? Acid burning? Offered Marcus. Smoky chemical? Tried Elena. Erica made a disappointed face. Her foofy green skirt pulled around her and a loose hair was perilously close to the matches. No, 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 those are terrible. Professora, said Marcus, why don't you not do that to the matches while you're wearing so much flammable stuff? I forgot to braid your hair this morning. She lit another one and inhaled deeply. It tastes like deep mountains. Or maybe like the sun. She paused to watch the fire burn slowly down the matchstick. I wonder why everyone just uses red and gold for the flames. There are so many more colors. And have you actually thought about what flame is? Like a spontaneous plasma reaction. But what is plasma, anyway? Flowing molecules all butting up against each other? An exothermic liquid you can hold in your hand? Remarkable. Elena stared at her. And you think about this stuff sober? Daddy, can we get Erica stoned? Absolutely not, he said, rising to get his phone, now ringing off the kitchen counter. I want to live. Try to keep her from burning anything. Hello? Marky. Bye, Sam, he said, moving to hang up. Wait, wait, I'm sorry, his brother said in Spanish. Please don't hang up. What do you want, then? Nothing, nothing. I heard Erica had an accident. I wanted to check on her. I like her. I bet you do. Go away, Sam. I'm sorry, Marcus. I really am. Marcus paused, hearing actual sincerity in his brother's voice for the first time in decades. You know, it almost sounds like you actually are. Sorry, that is. I am. I like Erica. 
Do you need anything? Can I help you with anything? Why, he said, immediately suspicious. No reason, I promise. We just want to check on you. We? There was a somewhat awkward pause. Me and Nina. Marcus rolled his eyes. Of course you and Nina. We talked about it. Maybe maybe it is time to settle down, you know? Maybe... Well, when you yelled at us, I got to thinking the other day. Nope. Sam, stop. I don't care about any of this. I don't need to be part of your reform. Marcus leaned around the counter to see Erica bring a match closer so she could smell it properly, promptly catching her hair on fire. Elena, Elena immediately swatted it away and cut away the crinkled bits. The apartment smelled like burning hair. Again. None of this is my business. You two are train wrecks. Go away and let me live my life without you two. He strode over to swipe the matches away from Erica, ignoring her disgruntled expression, and lit the candles and incense he'd purchased for precisely this reason. Erica stuck her tongue out at him, and he pretended not to notice. We're fine. Thanks for pretending to care, but you and Nina can stay the hell out of our lives. Oh, don't be like that, Marky. Nina's just down the road, after all. I'm thinking about moving her out to New York. You know, once Elena's settled at school. Where's she going again? Northwestern? You asshole, Marcus hissed into the phone, heading into the bedroom so the girls didn't hear them. Yes, she's going to Northwestern. She's going to study biology, thinking about med school. That's great, little brother. Awesome. I, I know she'll do great, and you and Nina have set her up right. She got her own scholarships. It wasn't us, and you're pissing me off now, so I'm going to hang up. Don't call me again. Marcus, wait. He hung up. Then, just because it seemed like the thing to do at the time, he threw his phone against the wall. Marcus, called Erica, did you just throw your phone against the wall? How does she do that? Yes, he called back, already feeling dumb. Do you want me to get you a new phone? He looked at the cracked screen and broken casing. Yes, so stupid. Five minutes with my brother and I lose my mind. He threw himself face down on the bed. Moments later, Igor carried in a little tray. Marcus turned his head and opened one eye to watch the tiny creature toddle into the room carrying his favorite ice cream, with Erica rolling in after him. She closed the door behind her. So Sam called. Marcus shoved his face back into the pillow. Yes. And it went well? No. Want to tell me about it? No. Okay. She pushed him. Scoot over so I can get up there with you. No, just go to the other side. No, I'm lazy. Move over and help me. Ugh. He did pull her out of her chair and onto the bed with him, settling her legs for her. You're so needy. Yep. He took a deep breath, hoping for her clean rain smell, and instead got burnt hair. Stop lighting your hair on fire. You already look like a crazy person. Burning off chunks of your hair makes it grow in all different lengths, he said, running his hands through it. Liking the cool feel of it and the heaviness on his fingers. You have pretty hair. Quit ruining it. <laughs> she said. It's hair. It grows back. I gave myself a haircut this morning. He groaned. Just let me do it at least. If you won't get it, go and get it done properly. You look like something out of a Waterworld fanfic when you do it. What's Waterworld? A movie. Oh. They lay there in silence for a while. Marcus started to relax, enjoying the moment. He opened his eyes just in time to see her pick her nose and flick it to the other side of the room. Erica, don't do that. Hmm? It's disgusting. I didn't have a tissue. So you flicked it? What, were you raised by wolves? Jesus H. Christ. I could have wiped it on the sheets. Or maybe Igor, I guess. And no, I was not raised by wolves. I don't think wolves can pick their own noses. Point. It's still disgusting. He found her magazine, rolled it up, and bopped her on the nose. 
No, don't flick boogers. She shoved the magazine away. Speaking of being raised by wolves, he said, did you pick our adventure yet? Uh-huh. Why? Are you going to tell me about it? Nope. You said you wanted to be surprised. What if I need stuff? I'll have to schedule an absence at work and blah, blah, blah. She waved a hand at him. None of that is important. Just relax and appreciate the moment for a second. He frowned. What if we need something? A passport or... Erica groaned. Oh my god, Marcus, you are killing my spirit right now. Surprise means surprise. Not something you've planned and had time to worry into submission. No excuses. Fine, but I just want it to go well, so there's no harm in helping you a little. You have to admit you aren't great at planning things. At worst, your stuff turns into a medical emergency, and at best it'll just be boring and awkward. She laughed out loud. Marcus, when has anything connected with me been boring? Just awkward? Well, it's endearing after a while, or so I've been told. Section 4. Never trust a good DM. She is, actually, trying to kill you. Dad! Erica! The nerds are here! shouted Elena from the living room. Who are you calling a nerd, nerd? asked Ryan. Oh shit, said Marcus. It's D&D night, isn't it? Erica looked at him in fascination. How do you live in your own head when you forget things like that? It must be so quiet in your mind. Hush, you're the one who had to write down the no-screwing-guys-in-the-bathroom rule. I wrote it down to make it official, she said, turning her nose up, or trying to, as she maneuvered back into her chair. You'll note, you didn't mention anything about screwing guys in other rooms, or screwing girls, or screwing you. A more literal mind might take advantage of that. A more literal mind than yours? What would that be? The Windows operating system? Har har. I'm more of an iOS kind of girl. Dad! Yes, yes, we're coming. Marcus, shouted Justin, I'm starving. What did you make for us tonight? We're going to have to order something, said Marcus, walking back to the living room. I forgot. How can you forget, said Ryan? It's literally every Friday. Erica snickered. Marcus narrowed his eyes in annoyance. Adults have adult thoughts that occasionally are more important than Dungeons and Dragons. Justin had positioned himself in front of the fridge and had grabbed a glass jar to take a healthy swallow. He promptly screwed the lid back on and put it back with a grimace. Oh, God, Marcus, whatever that was tastes terrible. You better throw it out. Marcus and Elena shared a long, horrified glance. He ate something not labeled from the fridge, said Elena. Is he going to die? I don't know, asked Marcus seriously. Erica, do you have any recollection of the experiments you were running last month? Oh, sure. Those are just simple slime molds. They're from ages ago. I just forgot to throw them out. Justin was looking very pale. Slime molds? Erica started setting up the table with Elena. Yep, don't worry, it's just some putrefied oats, water, and slime. The slime is mostly calcium with some carbon. It shouldn't be too bad for you. I wanted to see if we could mimic the slime mold's movement for a robotic application, but then I forgot about it. She glanced up. Um, yeah, well, sometimes they do produce cyanide as a metabolic byproduct. She gave, gave him a long, intense look. Are you experiencing dizziness, headache, weakness, rapid heart rate? Nausea? Justin's face got paler. Yes, all of the above. Erica rolled out from the table, coming closer. Interesting. I've never seen cyanide poisoning in person. The next symptoms would be convulsions, low blood pressure, and respiratory failure leading to death. Erica! Marcus ran over to Justin, checking his eyes and leading him to the bathroom, handing him a big glass of activated charcoal that he kept on sight just for conditions like this. Don't worry, he said. I call poison control all the time. 
uh, you should be able just to throw up most of it, and the activated charcoal will counteract whatever traces are left. They also can help you throw up sometimes, he said, patting Justin on the back consolingly. Sorry, buddy, but yeah, don't eat anything that doesn't have a label on it in the fridge. Now you tell me, muttered Justin. Hey, you read the blog, countered Marcus. You know this house is an obstacle course of weird science? We make everyone sign waivers to come in here. Elena nodded sagely. It's true. That was the first thing Dad warned me about when Erica moved in. It's pretty intense, whispered Ryan. I mean, she looks so helpless, you know, and she's a girl, but... What's that supposed to mean, said Elena? Because she's a girl, she's supposed to be helpless and barefoot, chained to the stove? Woman, Elena. Don't use the term girl. Fight the patriarchy, said Erica equitably. Elena nodded determinedly, and both women looked back to Ryan. From the living room, the group could hear vomiting, followed by an awful stillness. Ryan looked horrified. He turned to Erica. You're kind of scary, you know that? Yep, she said. Now, who's ready to play? Another round of vomiting answered her. Day 566. Yesterday, my mad scientist of a girlfriend poisoned my best friend by accident. It's all fun and games until someone has to call poison control and spend the next hour throwing up. I know more about Justin's insides than anyone now, so thanks for that. Good bonding. When people talk about having a boys' night, is that what it's like? Just with alcohol instead of putrefied slime molds? I feel like I've missed out on so many formative experiences. We're working on labeling things in the house now. God help us if Erica ever decides she's interested in medicine. I've already told Elena that she can't tell Erica about any of her classes or invite her to any lectures. I could just see body parts ending up in our freezer or me waking up missing a kidney one morning in a bathtub full of ice. It could happen, folks. It could happen. What am I doing? River held her head in her hands, long, elegant brown fingers tangled in disarray jet black hair that had somehow escaped from the stranglehold of the industrial-grade scrunchie holding it into a bun. Or trying to, anyway. It's never going to get better. Maybe I've actually died, and this is my eternal punishment. She took deep breaths and tried not to cry. There wasn't anything wrong. The day had been good, so far, all things considered. But she was sixteen hours into a twenty-four-hour shift, and exhaustion had just sat on her. I'm so tired. Odd, she haven't, hadn't ever before noticed that you could whimper in your own thoughts. The echoey tension in her chest made her back hurt. Even her bones felt leached, as if her body was pulling calcium as some last-ditch energy source. One little tear leaked out. What am I doing with my life? Pull it together, Blackwell. You've got a patient in room one. She managed to drag her head up to squint wearily at the nurse. I hate him so much. What is it? If I knew that, we wouldn't need a doctor now, would we? Or whatever passes for one at this hour of the morning. Get Jane to do it. I need a minute. Nope. Jane's already in emergency. It's just you. And if your residency is too much, maybe you should rethink your career choices. It's never going to get better. She groaned at the unconscious echo of her thoughts. The nurse dropped a chart into her lap. Good luck. Screw you, she thought uncharitably, and settled for a glare at him. He didn't care, swiveling back into the workstation and doing whatever arcane thing the chief nurse did at 2 a.m. Please be something simple. Please be something simple. She gripped the chart like a flotation device and stood up, and promptly had to sit down as her head swam. She thought she heard a snicker from the nurse's station, but she tried to ignore it as she gave standing another shot. This time went better. She opened the door to exam room one and said, Hello, my name is Dr. Blackwell. What seems to be that only to be shouted down by a hysterical mother and a screaming toddler. She closed her eyes against the din and leaned briefly against the door jamb. This was going to be a very long night. The baby screamed, constantly, 
River pressed a hand to her forehead and tried to think past the peels that shot like lightning through her brain, tried to get something useful out of his mother. Please, start at the beginning. When did you first notice something was wrong? I don't know. Just do something. What's wrong with him? Miss... She forgot the woman's name and skipped over it, hoping the baby's mother wouldn't notice. I'm trying to find out. She made soothing noises and pressed her fingers into the boy's neck, palpating for swollen lymph nodes, stiffness, something. What symptoms did you notice first? Symptoms? He won't stop screaming. Make it stop. River passed her hand over the boy's forehead, but it felt cool and dry. The screams were making her feel ragged inside, sort of stretched and thin from the inside out. Talk to me, little man. Tell me where it hurts. His temperature was normal, no swelling, no bruising, good weight, clear skin, nothing. The boy was crying and screaming now, gasping for breath and heartbreaking little sobs. She laid him down, noticing shaking limbs and some rigid musculature in his belly, and something else. A discoloration? Edema? She pulled up his shirt a little way and saw black veins, horrible twisting shapes underneath the boy's skin, thick shapes that pushed out against his capillaries, changing his pink skin to gray. As she gasped, the snake seemed to see her. A twining ball leapt to her hand on the boy's belly, turning her whole hand black. Marcus! Marcus, hey! Something smacked him on the head, and he dimly refocused on his office, his computer, his boss, tapping her foot and looking at him expectantly. Oh, hello. He blinked slowly, trying to remember if he was supposed to be doing something other than reading a new story. This one was good. An indigenous story from a First Nations author in Canada. She dropped a very thin manuscript on his desk. Special favor, I need you to edit this, preferably by lunch. He sputtered, paused midway and reaching for it. I can't, it's already... A glance at the clock. 10 a.m. It's fine, she waved. It's just a picture book. A picture book? He frowned, flipping through it. I don't do picture books. It's a picture book, not fucking Machiavelli. It'll be fine. Knock it out for me. But favor, Marcus, favor. The author is one of our executive husbands or boyfriends or whatever, and she wants to get him published. Veronica sighed deeply and brushed graying hair out of her eyes. And I drew the short straw this month for pacifying the leadership's special projects. Bullshit. She gave him an intense stare. Edit it. Get it to production by lunch. Anything you do is fine. But I don't do artwork. I've never done a picture book. Marcus, oh my god, it is literally a paragraph of poorly worded poetry designed for children learning to read. Just edit it, put your name on it, and send it to production. Who's the author? Can I meet with them? Maybe just a quick phone call? Veronica kicked the side of his cubicle. No. What are you not understanding? Jesus, take ten minutes, read the damn thing, finish the recommendations, fill out the production form, and send it. I already told you, it's a waste of time. Well, I don't, I don't like half-assing things, he muttered as she walked away. It's not half-assing if it's asinine in the first place. Quit bitching and just do it. He flipped to the per first page. There was a little bear, alone in the wood. Oh no, he cried, what will I do? I can't do this, he exhaled, turning into his seat to see if Chris was in his cubicle. Hey, hey, you busy? Yes, very, extremely. Chris had his headphones on, bouncing his head. I can't hear you, go away. Hey man, what is this? Have you gotten stuck with this before? Chris shoved his glasses more securely on his nose. Of course. Every time they have a board meeting, one of the departments gets screwed with having a pet project thrown at them. It looks like Veronica was it this month. Sorry, bro. Just knock it out. They're going to pay you no matter what. 
But this is bad, he waved the manuscript pages at him. Even the artwork. I'm not even a real artist, but even I know this is trash. Chris shrugged and went back to his work. Don't worry about it. It's just for kids anyway. They won't know the difference. Hey, I used to read quality stuff to Elena. You know, page master quality, comic books, all kinds of good stuff. Who says that kids' books have to be dumb? No one, but no one cares, man. Just fill out the form and be done with it. Marcus sat back in his chair. Hell, I could write a better kids' book than this and illustrate it. Chris snickered. Sure, everyone says that. Go ahead and do it. You ever drawn anything in your life? In your life? Well, I used to when I was a kid. I used to like drawing a lot. Another snicker. Well, there you go. When you finish your picture book, I'll edit it for you. How about that? Deal, said Marcus, resolved. I'll take you up on it. Uh-huh. Sure you will. Chris's head started bobbing again. Everyone makes fun of the picture book thing until they have to do it. Writing for kids sucks. I give you a week tops before you quit. Done, Marcus pulled out a notebook. I really hope Erica doesn't see this, he thought, a little ruefully as he started trying to remember how to sketch. She hates kids stuff. Oh, and hey, congratulations. For what? asked Marcus absently. You mean she hasn't told you yet? Weird. I heard her talking to Veronica today. You're getting more time off for some reason. Marcus frowned. What? Chris gave him a secretive smile. Good luck, buddy. Marcus couldn't get anything more out of him, but it made him nervous. Marcus paused, like he usually did, at the entryway to the apartment, waiting, listening, cracking the door open to smell for smoke or chemicals in the air. Nothing happened, and he felt a small bubble of relief, which came to an end as he saw Erica sitting on the balcony. She was dressed in loose cotton pants, a man's button-up shirt, rolled-up sleeves, her hair wrapped in a butterfly scarf trailing honey-blonde bits at irregular intervals down her face and neck. She was also puffing serenely on a cigar and sipping from a glass coffee mug that looked like it contained some sort of malt liquor. To the brim. Positively bohemian. Erica, he dropped his stuff to stick his head out onto the balcony. What are you doing? You don't smoke or drink. She tapped the cigar against the ashtray perched on her chair's arm and then took another drag. I decided that real authors have vices. He glanced down to see a thick, unsteady stack of classics. Jack Kerouac, Ernest Hemingway, Melville, Conrad. You hate these authors. She nodded. Yes, but they are famous, and they have some good things in here. She tapped Kerouac. This guy, in particular. I wanted to get inspired for our trip, so I figured I should at least get drunk and read him. He had a sinking feeling. Erica, did you get the liquor out of the top cupboard? Yes, she said, patting her chair, flipping a switch under the seat to expose a long... Lightweight robotic arm with a telescoping joystick that she waved at him flippantly. I had to test out Optimus. Optimus? Yes, that's my chair's new name. From Beast Wars Transformers. Optimus Prime. Behold. She put down the ashtray, cigar, and booze and said, Optimus, go vertical. Immediately, the chair's wheels lifted. A bottom bracket swung out, bracing her in the front and holding the chair steady as the seat and back lifted her into a standing position. Pretty neat, huh? I can't walk with it yet, but it's all carbon fiber and runs off lithium batteries. He walked around to the back of it to see a delicate power pack affixed to the backboard. The same one that they used for cars. That's wonderful. How long until a recharge? Oh, ages, she giggled, and he was pretty sure she was smashed. It's a Tesla battery I stole from a friend of mine. He owed me one. You have a Tesla friend? Who 
Who just gave you a battery? What are you? He asked, genuinely impressed. I wondered how you got my scotch. That's $4,000 worth of liquor. I'll have you know. She looked at it in surprise. Wow, tastes terrible. Why do you have this? He sighed. It was a gift. Oh, she looked at her glass coffee mug again at her feet and said, Optimus, stand down. Her chair folded in on itself. Hmm, whoops. She picked it up and handed it to him. It really does taste terrible, if that's any consolation, but here you go. She popped the cigar back into her mouth. Now these, I like. That's disgusting. No, 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 it's delicious. She blew a cloud of smoke that spiraled around her, and he did have to admit she certainly looked the part of a harried, cynical writer wreathed in cigar smoke and whiskey. Why are you taking up smoking and drinking? It's what real writers do. You are a real writer. You don't have to do anything other than be yourself. Nope, I'm pretty sure I'm getting stale. I need to write something meaningful, something classic. He frowned at her. But you love writing science fiction. What do you mean, classic? You know, literary, important, not just magic and science and cheating with fun plot devices. He cast his eyes up into the ceiling of the balcony, about to respond, only to be distracted by the highly unusual sight of a kayak anchored in the concrete ceiling. My darling, he said, craning his head around to see that it was actually a large kayak with two people fit snugly in a carrying case and accessible with a pulley system secured to a line drilled into the wall behind him. Yes. Love of my life. Yes. Joy of my existence. Yes. Why is there a kayak living in our roof? She glanced up following his expression and turned her wheels to face him more fully. Ah, surprise! She chortled to herself and then coughed a little as cigar smoke went down her throat. He patted her on the back. It's our trip, she said finally. We're going to Antarctica. No, we're not. Yes, we are. She pointed to the kayak. We're going on a cruise to Antarctica, and then we're going to kayak the coast when we get there. You have got to be kidding me. Nope. Excuse me. No, sir. We're totally going to do this, and you promise not to be a big wet blanket about it. One of her eyes closed in a drunk parody of a blink. I just have to figure out how not to drown while doing it. Another hiccup. Hence, the you have to help me were, she belched. Oh, man, I do not like liquor. People do this for fun. He rolled his eyes and pushed her back into the house, dropping her cigar into the ashtray and closing the door. Hey. Yes, sometimes drinking can be fun. Next time, don't pour whiskey into a coffee cup and drink it like soda. How did you even get them up there? Hmm. Okay, Matt put them up there for me when we were putting in the batteries. And then I used Optimus. Machines are great, way better than people. Anyway, Antarctica. She threw her hands wide, smacking him in the face. Ouch. Sorry, but, but try to be excited about this. There's a... She hiccuped again and drooped in the chair as if she was dizzy. A science cruise with lectures and shit. It'll be... It'll be great. Astronomy. What? Astronomy. Biology stuff. She waved a hand at him. Nerds. Water. There's an, there's an itinerary on the desk. Itinerary on the desk. It's great. I gotta get in shape, so I bought us, uh, I bought us kayaks. A kayak. We can go in Lake Superior. You mean Lake Michigan? Yeah, the close one. You have a car. It's good. The rack is, the rack is compat, compat, compatible with whatever your car is. Is it? He parked her in the living room and brought her a glass of water, wrapping her fingers around it. 
Drink this before you throw up on something important. I'm not going to throw up. She stared into the water and then drank it. Why are you such a shinpachi, shinpachi? What's a shinpachi? She held up a finger to finish drinking down the water and cleared her lips with an approving smack. He's an anime character, straight man, annoyingly practical, disturbingly forgettable. She smiled to herself as if pleased with the turn of phrase and the articulate manner of its deliver delivery. He shook his head. Oh, great. Thank you so much, sweetheart. So we're going to Antarctica? Yes, Shinpachi. When is this voyage happening? October. <coughs> October. You have plenty of time. She paused to look at her tiny hands. Man, Shinpachi, I'm going to get swole. I'm going to be massive like this. She imitated her shoulders expanding and her biceps exploding like Popeye. I'm going to be one ripped cripple. I'll be 120 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. She tried to wink at him but got confused halfway through and just gave a long blink. Oh, oh boy. Shinpachi, I do not like drinking. This is, this is very uncomfortable. uncomfortable. He patted her head. I know, Dozura. I know. Chapter 9. When the DM asks if you are sure, rethink your consequences immediately. Section 1. Boost your wisdom score, because your perception sucks. Marcus took a deep breath, inhaling the scent of the water and the sunlight around him. Lake Michigan was quiet and still in the early morning weekend. Erica was blissfully quiet, taking in the beauty around them. They'd had to tie part of the kayak to Optimus and balance it awkwardly on the back to get it down to the beach, meaning another trip back to the car to drop off Optimus for Marcus, and they'd had some trouble getting the boat deep enough to be pushable with the paddles, but not so deep that Marcus had to swim. But after that, it had been surprisingly easy. Fun, even. She did complain about the life jacket, but after he'd pointed out that death was far more inconvenient, she was kind enough to shut up about it. He turned his face up to the sun. It's going to be hot today. Midwestern summer heaviness wasn't quite sitting on them yet, but it was barely eight in the morning. Marcus. Hmm? The waves are starting to get choppy. We'll be fine. How are your arms? He was in the rear, so he couldn't see her face. Her strokes didn't seem to be suffering, though. Good, good. She rotated back to smile at him, relaxed and brown in the morning light. It's going great. Yeah, it is. Let's head closer to the shore and see if we can't make it up to the next beach before we turn around. Okay. Birds called, and there was only the sound of the water against the sides of the kayak and the ripples of the paddles going in and out. The wind was picking up, and he could feel the burn of exertion in his own muscles. He watched the muscles in Erica's arms flex in her thin t-shirt. She's going to be massively strong after this. Her strokes were starting to slow, so he tried to match them, feeling calmer and more relaxed than he'd been in ages. You still okay? he asked her. Yes, yes, stop fussing. Her hair had come undone, and tendrils were starting to blow around her face in the rising wind. We should probably head back, actually. Another gust rocked the sea kayak. It looks like the wind woke up. Agreed. She paused, resting with her paddle on her lap, breathing hard. Whew, this is hard. Yes, evidently Lake Michigan is a very good training ground for us. Wind is the devil, she said, panting and massaging her palms a little. Whose idea was this, anyway? He laughed. No idea. Must have been a shared delusion. She started paddling again, putting renewed energy into it with steady, graceful strokes. As much as he hated to admit it, she was almost more graceful now with her broken back. She seemed more comfortable with machines than her own body, manipulating them as, she, as if she'd been doing it for years. 
He matched her rhythm, steering them closer to the shore and trying to get the wind at their back, again admiring her shoulders and easy movements. Who would have thought she'd actually be athletic? You look happy, she said, distracting him. Hmm? You look happy, relaxed. I haven't seen you look like that in a long time. Oh, well, you know, he gave a small laugh. We had stuff going on, and of course I'm happy. You don't look happy most of the time. You look worried and upset. He glanced at her, but her face was fixed forward, concentrating and making steady, efficient motions with her arms. I'm happy, I promise. If you say so. Am I? He felt a little of the old tension creep back into him at the thought, and instead put his effort into paddling, hoping to put off the usual feeling for just a little while longer. Yes, I'm happy. It's okay, right? The wind was starting to pick up quickly, and big waves were starting to move the little boats more sideways than forward. Are you sure you're okay? Her rhythm was getting choppier than the waves, and she had to lean into each paddle pole, extending more and more each time. I'm fine, she shot back. It was getting hard to paddle now, even for him, with crosswinds pushing at them from a couple directions. Fortunately, the prevailing wind seems to be at a, seemed to be at their backs. As they approached the beach, Erica suddenly stopped paddling and waved madly, rocking their little boat. Marcus bit back a snap at her to stay still and instead craned his head around to see Elena waiting for them with her motorcycle. Bah. He had to repress an instantaneous desire to see it towed and dismantled. My girls would throw a fit. Maybe I could pay Justin to steal it? The thought had merit. He waved as well. Good. Elena can help me. The kayak crunched on gravel as they used their paddles to push it up on the beach as far as it would go. Leaning on both hands, he went to his knees and pulled his feet out, wobbling as he stepped out onto the land and promptly sitting in the sand. Shit. Hi, Daddy. Elena laughed at him and held the kayak while Erica leveraged herself out of the cockpit with both hands and gingerly pulled herself down to the sand, extracting her legs. Hi, baby, he said, feeling certain he was going to be finding sand in places that would be really irritating for a while and trying to shake off his clothes as much as possible. Wasn't expecting you this morning. Come here and hug me. He opened his arms to pull his daughter close. Erica said you were going to the lake this morning, and I wanted to see. Look at you two. She pulled away a little to see Erica fold her legs into a cross-legged sit near the water. So athletic. I didn't think you had it in you. Neither did I, laughed Erica. I mainly just survive on bravado and bullshit, but it's actually really fun. It is, agreed Marcus, releasing Elena to kneel in front of Erica so she could put her arms around his neck and he could pull her up to piggyback. Since you're here, I don't have to make two trips. Carry an end for me, mija? Sure. How was your adventure? Good, good. He hefted one end of the kayak and gave it to Erica to hold as she slipped one arm from around his neck and he took a firm grip on the and took a firm grip on the carry strap. Here you. If you're gonna hang out, make yourself useful. Aye aye, Captain, she said smartly, and twisted the strap around her wrist so she didn't have to work as hard to carry it. Elena picked up the other end. Oof, it's heavier than I thought it was. Sure is. That's what I said about Erica. Erica flicked his nose with her hand. Bad mule. No carrots for you. Nay, he said, imitating a horse and stamping his foot appropriately. So this is really happening? Antarctica? You guys leaving for two weeks of adventure on the high seas? God help us, sighed Marcus. It is. She picked it. When we're killed by pirates or eaten by a killer whale, she did it. Killjoy, muttered Erica. You promised not to be a Debbie Downer. He's such a shinpachi, isn't he, Erica? Total shinpachi. What series is this from, he asked. Do I have to watch this to appreciate why my family is calling me names? 
Gintama, yes, you have to watch. Oh my god, Erica, do you mean to tell me you've been living together all this time and you haven't made him watch Gintama yet? I have not. I was trying to spare his poor sensitive sensibilities. Dad doesn't have any sensibilities. Yeah, Dad, you have to watch. It's basically just a lot of dick jokes with some PTSD and friendship is magic themes thrown in there. It's great. I like Kagura. Of course you do. Kagura is just violence with cute hair. She totally is. Such a badass for a 12-year-old. Too bad they didn't make her older. She'd be hot if she was, like, 16. Elena made a face. She's a little young for me, but so cute. I like Gintoki. Gintoki's hot. But you're gay. So? I can't admire? Gintoki's definitely hot. Is Shinpachi hot? asked Marcus, since he's my namesake, evidently. No, said both women simultaneously. Aw, that's a bummer. It's okay, Mule. I love you just the way you are. He felt Erica press a kiss into his hair and then spit out something. Blech, sand. How did you get sand in your hair? Did you roll on the ground when I wasn't looking? He sighed. Laundry, bills, boredom, responsibility all seemed to come rushing back to him in a moment, flushing the exercise relaxation out of him again. I can't wait for this trip, he said instead. Elena, get rid of the motorcycle. No way. Good talk. Section 2. Writing this shit is harder than it looks. Marcus tapped his pencil against his nose and stared at the empty notebook. I really thought this would be easier. What do kids want to read about anyway? Animals? Every picture book has animals. Maybe I could do a native myth like coyote or raven or something. No, that's too cliche. No one would want to read it. It'd probably be an insult. Cultural appropriation. Very insulting. He dropped his pencil and groaned. Why is this so hard? He fished the pencil out from underneath the desk and put the tip against the empty, white, recriminating paper. Maybe I should use yellow paper, or paper that has a little inspirational messages on it? He frowned and gave himself a mental kick. Just start sketching and see what happens. Come on, you used to do this all the time when you were a kid. The pencil wobbled down into a drunk, misshapen line. He stopped. Coyote. I'll draw coyote. I always like those stories anyway. He tried to ignore the niggling doubts. It's just a sketch. No one has to look at it. Jesus, is this what it's like for Erica? He paused again, seeing blotchy shapes and a terrible outline. Universe, I apologize for ever giving her shit about not being able to write or for not wanting to do revisions. I apologize for all my insensitivity and bad karma. If someone lets me remember how to draw again, I promise I will never give her any more problems and I will be nothing but loving and supportive. The outline started to firm up a little. He tried again in another open white space, this time really trying to picture Coyote, the animal. To his surprise, it actually came out decent. He tried again. Now the Coyote looked like a reasonable image of a Coyote, but it was too boring. Bland. He started doodling a boy with a Coyote's face. It looked too much like a skinny version of Anubis. But it wasn't bad. Baby Coyote? Before Coyote got his reputation? That could be good. What are you doing? Erica was next to him at the desk, rifling through the sketches curiously. He'd scraped all of them into a loose pile and shoved them into a drawer. Nothing. You're obviously sketching. I didn't know you drew. Yes. No. He felt his eyes creep to the side, unable to meet her gaze. I mean, I used to, and I just thought... <clears throat> he cleared his throat. I just wanted to see if I could still do it. She gave him a piercing stare. Uh-huh. Is that why you're writing the bad poetry, too? She waved a napkin at him that he'd scrawled some sort of terrible verse on. 
He'd obviously forgotten to throw it away. He snatched that from her, too, and stuffed it in a drawer. Yes, I love poetry. You're the only one who's allergic to it. I like poetry. She thought about it. Nah, you're right. I don't like poetry. So what are you doing? It's unusual for you to be creative. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's neat. Just unusual. She opened the drawer and dug out one of the sketches. And these are good, really good. He blushed and took it back. No, they aren't. They're just scribbles. The lines are all wrong and it doesn't look right. It looks like a boy with a coyote mask on. It is, but it's too cartoonish. He stuck a finger against the pencil marks and drew out how it should look. See, it needs to be cleaner, more spartan. It should imitate pictographs or native drawings and have a combination of traditional shapes and flowing lines, like this. He laid the pencil against it again, correcting it into something he liked better. There. Wow. She gave him an impressed glance. That's amazing. You should draw more often. He coughed. It was just an idea. It's a good one. She traced the lines of his finger and wrist on his drawing hand. Your hands look different when you draw. I can see the muscles and veins working together, like they're more coordinated or something. She traced one of the veins down his forearm. Look, you're all veiny, like there's increased blood flow. It felt tingly, her skin on his. He liked the way their skin tones were different and the way her hand looked smaller on his, like a moth on a branch, all delicate and tentative. He moved the paper down to a new white spot and tried to draw it. Came out all wrong. But Erica leaned closer to watch, frozen in her same position, as if she understood where his picture was coming from. Wow. Hmm. He said, trying to erase some of the lines without ruining the shape of the sketch. It's not right. He felt her glance, but for some reason didn't want to look at her, keeping his eyes fixed down, though he felt a blush rising from somewhere. Erica... My love, would you mind going away for a bit? I'm having trouble concentrating with you around. Sure, okay. He could feel her give him another long look before she wheeled back into the living room and opened up her laptop. The angle on this desk sucks, he thought, using books to prop up a large clipboard as he dug up, that he dug up from underneath Erica's things. And the light is terrible. How can she work over here? I bet the coffee table would be more comfortable. Oh well. He got out another set of paper. The paper is too small. I need more space. Maybe I'll go shopping tomorrow. Sir, Mr. DiMarino, Mr. DiMarino, I understand. It's very stress. Yes, I, I know that it is a very stressful time for you right now. Marcus closed his eyes as his newest author streamed a laundry list of excuses for why he hadn't finished the revisions and why he was going to miss the deadline. And I, I understand that it can be hard having someone else criticize your work, but, but you have to know that this is because we want to help you, and these changes are going to be good for the final product. These are terrible changes. I can't make these characters pander to some mass-market knee-jerk fad. Marcus felt his eyes roll. He'd been spoiled. All these years with Erica, finally cooperating, and other professionals had made him soft. Mr. DiMarino, these aren't market fads. Your characters are genuinely unlikable. I'm sorry to be so blunt, but they're supposed to be unlikable. I'm not going to give readers some sugar-coated fantasy land story. It should be gritty and raw. Will you write fantasy? You don't have to remind me. I know what I write. Just because I want to make it more realistic, really focus on world building. What would a paper pusher know about creating anything? You're not a writer. You don't know the sweat and tears I poured into this draft. Sir, please believe me. I, I do sympathize. I know how hard you work. Marcus flipped through the hard copy he'd printed out to take home with him and reviewed the red line changes. 
but I have to tell you, some stories do really well with unlikable characters. Yours don't. You seem to keep trying to make them likable or meaningful and then backing away at the last second. I'm just saying you should pick a direction. Either make them so terrible there's no way we're going to like them, and then yes, let the plot take up the difference. Or make them complex, interesting people we like, even though they're terrible. You have some really good moments in here, like Paige... What do you mean I keep backing away? That's bullshit. You obviously don't know how to craft a good story. The man kept ranting, and Marcus held the phone a little away from his ear. Ouch. There's no point in this. Mr. DiMarino, the rant got louder. Sir, why don't I come and visit you and we can talk about these changes face to face? I hear that you have a lot of concerns. I don't want to see you. The changes are irrelevant. The manuscript is perfect as is. Marcus couldn't help the small chuckle that escaped him. Sir, no manuscript is perfect. We all... Don't laugh at me. I'm not making these changes. <clears throat> of course, I wasn't. Anyway, I would really highly recommend you change your mind. What do you say that I stop by tomorrow? You're over in North Park by Northeastern? Well, why don't I stop by? We can have some coffee and... No. Mr. DiMarino, I swear, I'm here to help you. Your manuscript is good. It's a great story. There are just a couple points that I think would help to make it just that much better. Come on, I'm in Uptown. We're practically neighbors. Let's just talk this out together, and I'm sure... Where's Veronica? Why did she slough me off on you? Veronica never made me do these kinds of extensive revisions. Well, yes, but I'm going to give her a call. He hung up. Marcus sighed and leaned back in his chair to see if Veronica was in her office. She was. She answered her phone. He waited. She met his eyes and very slowly drew her finger across her throat. Marcus smiled and helplessly raised his palms up to her. She glared at him. He went back to work. Twenty minutes later, Veronica was standing by his desk. What did you do? Nothing, I swear, he said, holding his hands up again. I just thought his characters could use a little work before we went to final revision. You've been hanging out with Erica too long. He said you told him it was crap and that we'd have to redo the whole thing. I never said that. Well, that's what he heard. Oh, come on. I would never say that. There's good stuff there. I just think he said you wanted to meet, go over things. Yeah. Good. He'll be at this coffee shop tomorrow at 10. Be nice. She shook her head at him. You know the deal. Cater to his ego. Play nice. Mollify the beast. Hell, this is your wheelhouse. I wasn't expecting to have to run interference for you. This is why I gave him to you in the first place. I never said he should redo the whole story. She waved him off and handed him a sticky note. Here, show up, treat him like the artist he is, and forget that you have other writers until you can, that you can be honest and blunt with. It's not this guy. He took the paper and hung his head a little. Sorry, Veronica. It's fine. Erica's books are selling better than ever. Even her romances are doing well. And that travel book she put out is doing okay. And she hasn't missed a deadline since you two hooked up. I can't complain. But seriously, Marcus, Phil is not Erica. Don't treat them the same. She turned to leave. Oh, and Jacques Brodeur has requested you he has requested you for his next book. Who's Jacques Brodeur? She laughed and smacked him lightly on the head. Picture book guy. Brother, husband, pool boy, insert nepotism of choice here, whatever, to Eliza Wilson, our fearless executive leadership. Congratulations. What? He has another one. But we haven't finished production on the first. Doesn't matter. It's just a picture book. We can crank him out. I... You're doing it. But thank you, Marcus. Good luck with Phil tomorrow. Hey! She ignored him and closed the door to her office. No, 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 muttered.
whispered Marcus as he desperately sprinted for the gates towards the purple line train, trying to eke out a few more milliseconds as he shoved his pass against the ticket reader. Come on, come on, come on, come on. But it was too crowded, and he watched the train doors close and it pull away before he could make it. Oh, fuck. There weren't any seats available on the platform. It's so busy today. It must be the touring season. Fuck, he said again, and tried to find a bit of wall he could lean up against so he could read something and wait for the next one. He found himself sketching instead, sketching Erica, the way she looked on the kayak in the shine of the water. Everything curved and graceful, from the movement of the oar to the way her hair fell around her face out of the messy top bun. It's been a long time since you... He winced. She probably thinks I don't love her anymore. He let the lines darken around her, bringing up the contrast with the water and highlighting the fluidity of her motion and the waves around her. She's just too vulnerable, or maybe not vulnerable enough. She didn't let him help her get dressed anymore or get things off the counter for her or reach for anything. Their home was completely handicap accessible. He sighed, almost like she doesn't need me, and that damn chair can do more than me anyway. Even with writing, Veronica said it. She makes all of her deadlines, she completes her revisions, her copy's always good. It's like I'm just not necessary anymore. Since the accident, she's even cooking for herself, remembering to take showers, being responsible. She never reached for him, didn't need anything. No more crying in her sleep, no more emotional conversations. It's almost like we're just good roommates. He sighed again. Did I do that? Did she? He flipped to a new empty page and started another sketch. Erica on the balcony with her hair tied up in a butterfly scarf with tendrils escaping to frame her jaw and lashes, a cigar dangling from one hand, staring out toward the lake. He ran the side of his thumb over the background to make it misty, more mysterious, and highlight her stubborn chin and elegant nose with just the slightest kink from her TV interview debacle. I miss my basket case. He almost missed the next train as well. He opened the apartment door. Hey, I'm... Shh, please. Erica had tucked herself into her usual tortured contortion under the coffee table, Optimus standing guard, typing furiously on her laptop. I have to get this out. Okay, he whispered. I'm home. He put together some dinner, getting wet food for Kitty, who seemed grateful and appreciative that someone was paying attention to him, promptly curling up on Marcus's lap as he sat on the couch and gnawed at dinner. Erica didn't acknowledge him, completely focused on the computer. How was your day? whispered Marcus to Kitty, scratching his chin and eating with one hand. Oh, it was good, he answered himself. I got yelled at by an insane person, and I'm writing a picture book. A picture book? Yeah, that's great. Aw, thanks. Kitty butted up against his hand and meowed plaintively. I know, buddy. That's what a conversation sounds like. You probably didn't know what it was, since it never happens here anymore. Erica didn't hear and didn't care. He finished his sandwich and displaced the cat so he could go get a beer and the rest of Phil's manuscript and the new picture book. Might as well read if no one's going to pay attention to me. He couldn't help feeling resentful and a little put upon. Every day, all she does is stare at that computer. The least she could do is pay attention to me for a little, especially since she doesn't need me for anything. He rubbed Kitty's face. You and me, buddy. You and me are just pets for the mad genius, huh? She obviously wasn't going to pick up on his sulking, so he dropped into his favorite chair and cracked open the manuscript. I wonder how she feels about picture books. She'd probably just laugh at me. They're not real writing, after all. Not real art. Not like her stuff. He sketched for a while, read for a while, updated the blog. Erica showed no signs of stopping. 
Occasionally, she would drag herself to the bookcase or ask Igor to go find her a particular book for research. Marcus opened his mouth to offer to help and then shut it again. She doesn't want my help. He finally gave up and went to bed, depressed. He woke up to bright green eyes gleaming in the darkness, a deep resonant purr and paws digging into his stomach. He glanced over to see that Erica still wasn't there and then checked the clock. 4 a.m. He groaned and pushed the cat off. No, kitty, it's not time for wet food. Go away. <sniffs> kitty jumped back up on the bed, sounding like a chainsaw, positioning himself directly on Marcus's stomach, kneading furiously. Ouch, Kitty, stop. Please go away. Marcus made a sleepy push again, but Kitty just moved out of his reach, climbing over him and planting a paw directly in Marcus's jewels. He lurched up. Ouch, Kitty, God damn it. Fine, yes, I'm awake, you cursed animal. Let's get you breakfast. The cat seemed to understand, immediately hopping off the bed and escorting Marcus to the kitchen. He looked back to meow as if Marcus wasn't coming fast enough. Yeah, yeah, I'm coming. Lay off, will ya? He stumbled into the kitchen, promptly smashing his foot against a bookcase and literally turning on the light to dig up more wet food to slop it into Kitty's bowl. There, demon creature. Good morning. He flipped off the light and automatically turned to the coffee table. Erica was face down in the blue-white glow of her laptop, asleep, sitting up, with her poor useless legs shoved under her in various positions that could not have been good for any remaining musculature or bones. He put his arms around her back and under her legs to ease her out from the table, lifting her a little to let him get his body under hers to lift the weight. No, she said, trying to turn in her sleep. She said, it's okay, I'm going to put you in bed. You fell asleep on the floor. It's fine. She said, snuggling closer to him and twining her arms around his neck. Here is good. No, bed is good. That's what I said. She nuzzled his neck and let a hand frame his jaw and the back of his head, pulling him into her. He could taste a hint of whiskey and nicotine in her, smoky and bitter. You've been drinking my scotch again, he murmured, when she let him up for air. No, cheap stuff, she said, smiling at him and awake. I thought you'd kick me out if I finished the good bottle. He realized he'd crushed her to his chest, that his muscles were locked, and he'd frozen between the living room and the bedroom, and he gently forced his legs to keep walking and his arms to relax a little. She stayed tight to his torso, looking up at him, with her dark eyes. We haven't done this in a while, she said, pressing her hand against his heart like she did when she wanted to know how he was feeling, as if she could pull it directly from the source. I thought you didn't want to. I thought you didn't want to. His throat seemed to be stuffed with cotton. No. She didn't say anything else, and he couldn't tell if he was relieved or disappointed. He laid her on the bed. She was still dressed in her black and white sarong skirt and a gray t-shirt. Her hair fell in loose waves around her. I wish we had candles in here, he heard himself say. She sat up a little, pulling him close for a kiss, deep and strong, one of her hands pressing him as the other worked into his boxers, gripping him and stroking back and forth. Her lips caught his moan of relief and pleasure as he braced himself with one hand over her, on the bed headboard, pressing into her, leaning into it. His other hand skimmed fingertips down her face, her neck, tracing the curves of her body through the clothes, letting his nails scrape through the passage. He opened her legs, sliding her skirt up so he could push in closer to her with one of his knees near her hip, the other between her thighs, deepening the pressure of his hand and letting him control the rhythm as she kept up her steady strokes. He pushed his leg into her heat as he captured her wrist, stopping the rhythm. Suck it, he said, bringing it closer to her. Please, put it in your mouth. I want to feel you. She gave an exploratory lick from the base to the tip and back down, placing a kiss on the head and letting her tongue swirl around it for a moment before closing her lips on it fully. He thrust lightly into her mouth, letting his head fall back in agonized relief. 
I thought. He stopped to moan as she tightened her hand on the base and made small stroking motions with her thumb, still massaging him with her tongue. I thought you didn't want me anymore. She didn't respond except with her mouth, all heat and wetness. He could feel her pulsing against his thigh, slick and hot without underwear, but he couldn't stop. His hips twitched with each motion against him, and a small thrust pressed against her palm at his base, making little electric shocks spark up and down his spine with each one. Harder, he gasped. Please, harder. Suck it harder. The teasing motions of her tongue stopped and became friction as he shoved against it. Her hand lengthened into deep, hard pressure, matching his thrusts, and he had to brace both hands against the wall to keep up with the wave inside him. He could feel her other hand on his hip, gripping his muscles. Her nails bit at him, making tingling spurts to add to the wave. But then she moved behind him to delicately drift down his rear, her thumb tickling the back of his balls, and he had to restrain himself, feeling sweat pour down his face and back. When she inserted a small finger in him, the world lit up and he could hold back no longer. Oh my god, he whispered, before losing all control of his body as the orgasm ripped through him, leaving him shaking and sweating as he gently lowered himself next to her. He couldn't see, hear, or think. There was only the pulsing sensation that went on and on and on. He could vaguely feel her under him, but he could only wrap what was left of his arms around her and hold on, totally relaxed and contented. He fell asleep and missed Erica's sigh of exasperation. Really? He woke up in an intensely good mood, not even too annoyed when he noticed that Erica had deftly arranged herself on the edge of the bed and was trying to lower herself to the floor so she could crawl to the living room for her chair. Stop that, he said. I'll just go get it for you. No, no need. I got it, she said, promptly losing her grip on the bedside table and splatting on the floor in a bundle of limbs. He rolled his eyes, rolling over to her side of the bed and stepping over her to lift her back up, perched on the covers. Stay, he said. I'm going to go get your chair. Try not to break anything. It's okay. I don't mind doing it myself. Stay, please. He could feel his good mood rapidly evaporating. Why won't you let me help you with anything anymore? I let you help with a lot of things, she sniffed. I just don't want you thinking of me as helpless and incompetent. I would never think of you like that. Well, you're always so patronizing and so fatherly, I guess. Sometimes it's really annoying. Fatherly? Ew. Gross. Okay, not fatherly exactly, but you know more of a caretaker than a boyfriend. That's not fun for either of us. I'm not fatherly. I just clarified. Can I have my chair now? Is that why you won't let me touch you? I let you touch me all the time. Last night is the first time in forever. She laughed and again tried to lever herself on the floor somewhat more gracefully. Last night. Sure. Whatever. I should really program Optimus with a voice activation self-start, she said. It would make this a lot easier. No, hey. He left the room to pull in Optimus and park it in front of her. Stop it. What was wrong with last night? Oh, seriously? She lifted herself into the chair, newly toned and strong-looking shoulders flexed as she got herself situated. Don't you think I wanted to participate, too? You were done in ten minutes and sleeping the sleep of the pure-hearted. You obviously don't need me, either. What's that supposed to mean? She released the brake so she could get more up close and personal with him. You're complaining about how I never touch you, never show affection? Well, what? Are your fingers broken? Why don't you start something once in a while? I do. She rolled to the closet and pulled out another strong-style skirt, this one in deep blue and silver, and tied it around her waist, settling it around her legs, and pulled on another gray t-shirt. Put a bra on, he said automatically. She ignored him. I do make moves occasionally. That one time, after D&D, &D, he trailed off. That had been weeks ago. 
That was weeks ago, she echoed. Seriously, all this complaining about how I'm not enough. Well, fix it. Don't just stand there wondering why I'm not doing what you want me to do. Tell me, ask me, do something. She spun and headed to the bathroom, slamming the door. He couldn't tell if it was accidentally or on purpose, and he couldn't remember if he knew her well enough to guess which one. Erica! Seriously, Justin, I don't know what her problem is. Marcus stretched his legs out more underneath the stool and tried to feel more underneath the bar stool and tried to feel more comfortable. Justin's bar was nice. He had good music, nice lighting, a mellow, homey feel. It should be nicer to be here. There were just so many people for a Tuesday happy hour. Justin shrugged and handed him another glass. Hold on. He went to take care of another patron and a phone call, coming back to Marcus with a worried face. What is it? Jeannie can't work Friday. I may have to skip the game. Marcus looked morose. Just make Ryan do it. He pisses off the girls so much and he plays like a five-year-old. I'd rather have you there. Hell no. Kid can't tend bar. Can't do anything, really. God, I hope he turns out to be a writer or something, because he's totally unemployable. Yeah, yeah, be right there. He moved to the other side to handle a delivery guy waving paperwork at him. Marcus stared at his beer. Justin noticed. Look, Marcus, buddy, we've known each other how long now? Fifteen years, give or take? Yeah, okay, I thought it was more than that, honestly. Marcus, Justin leaned on the bar with both elbows. Look, you're not the most, um, aggressive guy, right? No, probably not. And that's great. And you and Erica get along wonderfully, right? Yeah, most of the time, except for now. She won't let me... Shut up, man, I'm still talking. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I don't know what it's like living with her, but you know, maybe if you were a little selfish sometimes, spoke up for yourself a little, you know, told her what you wanted to do, she'd like that. And that way, she wouldn't have to, like, try and guess what you wanted all the time. And, you know, crazy thought, but maybe if you wanted to know what she was thinking, you could, like... Ask her. Marcus rolled his eyes. So fucking cliched. For a reason, man. Erica's basically a dude. Why are you being all weird and passive-aggressive? If you don't like it, fix it. That's almost word for word what she told me. Justin threw out his hands. Well, there you go. I live to serve. Hey, have you been reading her romance novels lately? Marcus shook his head. Justin gave him a significant look. You should. They're good. Really good. I don't know what she's been thinking about lately, but you are missing out, man. I had thought that you were doing those things to her, but Jesus fucking Christ, if you're on the outs, she must be doing some powerful good research lately. Like what? Oh, I'm not going to ruin it for you, man. Justin gave a low whistle. And someone would probably overhear and complain, and I don't want to get sued for that. Why do you read my girlfriend's romance novels? Justin gave him a shocked look. Are you kidding? She lays out what a certain kind of woman wants in a relationship, and what turns her on. First of all, I think it's actually pretty hot that I know everything there is to know about you and can make fun of you whenever I want. You do not know everything there is to know about me. I sure do. I know you fall asleep after and that you've never actually figured out how to bring her... Stop. Please, God, stop. I will pay you anything not to continue. And second of all, women like this. Of course they do. It's a romance novel. No, I'm, I mean, I use it as a tutorial, a dating strategy. It's great. Best sex of my life lately. This girl, Anna been seeing her, and she's totally into Erica's books. I haven't let her know that I know the author or anything, but she is definitely into it. Great conversation starter. Definitely helpful in the bedroom. Justin winked at him. Marcus groaned. 
You know, if you needed help, you could have just borrowed Erica's reference text, he muttered into his beer. God knows she leaves them out everywhere. Justin laughed. Nah, I like seeing the final product. They're good and dirty. So dirty in such a sweet way. Like listening to a virgin librarian talk about the great night she had. Find me up. Thanks for sharing. Hey, she's your girlfriend. I know. He swirled the beer. Can I have another one? Justin gave him a surprised look. Sure. It's not like you to hang out and drink, though. You hate my place. Not true. I just hate being outside in general. I mean, look at all these people. Justin looked around at the Spartan crowd. Buddy, it's 4 p.m. on a Tuesday. There are like eight people in the whole joint. Tops, including you. Ugh, so crowded. Justin laughed and handed him another beer. Such a baby. Section 3. Somebody please cast guidance. Or sanctuary. Or something. It was early morning. Light glistened off Lake Michigan. It was still, quiet, peaceful. Erica and his oars moved in synchrony in synchrony in the water, pacing the shoreline to the north with easy, long strokes. The usual calm washed over him. Somehow, on the lake, with her, like this, everything just seemed far away and softer, unimportant compared to the birds and mist rising in the morning sun. I like your new wheelchair. She'd presented it early this a.m. It was an off-road model, a tiny, carbon-fiber-molded seat with big, fat wheels and levers attached to the hubs to help her get through sand and mud. The whole thing folded into a carrying case. Oh, thanks. I rebuilt it out of the ruined mountain bike. It looks great. It works better. They lapsed into silence again. She should have started giving me a whole technical lecture at this point. What's wrong with her? Do you want to tell me what you did? No, that's okay. I know you don't like it when I lecture you. Since when does that matter? I'm trying to be more sensitive to your needs, since there's evidently something bothering you. There's nothing bothering me. Okay. She didn't turn around, but he could see her getting that little frown of concentration in between her brows. But your heart rate is elevated, and your voice has raised in register, and you aren't using your usual vocabulary, and that usually means something's bothering you. He ground his teeth in frustration. Why won't she just go back to normal? I'm just going to relax until you're done being weird, she said. I'm not being weird. Okay. I'm not. You're the one being weird. Okay. Seriously. Okay. Stop saying that. Okay. Fine, I'm shutting up now. Marcus lugged his suitcase and Erica's through the airport as she wheeled deftly through the crowd. For once, she wasn't fighting the idea of taking a plane ride. She and Elena were talking comfortably in line at security, letting him handle the carry-ons. Thanks for the help, he called to them, grumpy. Neither one looked back at him and didn't seem to notice as he finally worked his way up the line. He'd been surprised when Erica had told him that Elena was coming too, but in a good way. He was deeply grateful the two got along so well and that his daughter would be a distraction. Might even give me someone to talk to, he thought, sullen. Erica was still being weird, and it annoyed him. The security agent handed his phone back to him, and Marcus gathered up the luggage again to meet the girls on the other side of the checkpoint. Erica smiled happily at him, and he felt a surge of irritation for reasons he couldn't define. He kept his face down as he jammed his feet back into his shoes and followed his girls to the gate. Albuquerque? He checked the sign, then his ticket. Sure enough, Albuquerque. How are we getting to Antarctica from Albuquerque? Erica, sweetheart, he began as he dropped bags next to Erica's chair and stared at the gate display. Why are we going to Albuquerque? We're going to see Grandma and Grandpa, said Elena excitedly. Didn't you know? Marcus felt his irritation increase. Why doesn't she tell me anything? 
No, baby, I didn't know. Erica? She shrugged. You said you wanted it to be a secret, that you wanted it to be a surprise. I didn't mean that you shouldn't... Oh, hell. Fine, whatever. He sat hard into the plastic chairs in the boarding area and sulked. I'll just follow you around then. Don't mind me. I'm just the baggage. Erica patted him. You are delightful baggage. Relax. You'll like this. I even got you a present. I don't like surprises, he groused and narrowed his eyes to see Elena and Erica exchange significant glances. Stop that, you two. It's annoying if you don't tell me what's going on. So fussy, Daddy, said Elena. Don't worry. I helped Erica plan this. You're definitely going to like it. Hmm, he said. Fine. The plane ride was unremarkable, even for Erica. She seemed to have adapted to plane travel admirably and seemed even more comfortable in herself now that she was in her chair. She found these headphones and compression shirts that really help, said Elena. Absently, she flipped through a book on her tablet. It's the same principle Temple Grandin uses for slaughterhouses. Marcus raised his eyebrows. No, don't look at me like that, Elena said. I thought it would help, and it did. Look how calm she is. Well, I can't argue with results, he thought. The drive to Taos was also unremarkable. Although Elena seemed possessed by random giggles at periodic intervals, what are you laughing at? He flicked his eyes off the road to look at the back seat where Elena was wearing a disturbingly large smile. Nothing, nothing, she said, sing-song. I'm really just happy, so happy. Erica said nothing, just smiled peacefully at him. It made him nervous. They pulled into his parents' house and he got Erica's chair out. The usual greetings were exchanged, although his mother and even his father had unusually happy expressions. As the women went into the house, he pulled his dad aside. It's a deal, dad. I'm not allowed to tell. Seriously? Seriously. Why are you wearing such a dopey face, then? Can't tell you. It's part of the surprise. Marcus rolled his eyes and followed the rest of his family into the house. As his vision adjusted to the light in the living room, he saw Sam perched on the couch making small talk with Elena, and he felt an internal hiss rising up from his guts. No, he said, we're leaving. Just wait, 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 Marcus, just give us a minute. This is a surprise for you, a present. Anything you touch is not welcome. Come on, it's okay. I wanted to be here for you. Why? Marcus asked suspiciously, moving closer to Erica and Elena. Why would I need you to be here for me? For your wedding, of course, Sam said, bewildered. I really wanted to come, and Erica said it was okay. What wedding? said Marcus. Surprise! shouted Elena, bursting with relieved excitement, and tugged him out to the backyard. There was white, and flowers, and Father Kino, sitting in the garden, almost napping. Marcus snapped his head back to Erica, who was rolling up next to him, a marriage license in her lap. Surprise, she said, laughing at him. I told you you'd like it. Let's get married. His mother was making happy snuffling noises somewhere in the background, but he was too taken up with Erica to register. It was almost like it was happening to someone else. Are you serious right now? She nodded and held up the license for him to see. Antarctica is the honeymoon. I already got it cleared with Veronica. Don't worry. She says the time off is your wedding present from her and that you better appreciate it properly. And I asked your parents to set this up because you said your mother really cared about marriage. She shrugged. I even had to take classes to be Catholic. She beamed at him. I'm Catholic now. Did I do good? I... Marcus stopped, a little overwhelmed. Can I do this? Erica was looking at him in the way she had, the feeling that his whole nature was just spread out in the fields of her mind, and she saw him, really saw him. And an idiot for doubting her. Yes, okay, let's do it. Elena let out a whoop 
and Erica grabbed his hand to squeeze. Oh, she said, I also bought an earth ship here. We'll go see it after the wedding. I have plans. What? Erica? That is the end of Freelance the Anti-Romance. Thank you all for listening. Season two will be Wind and Rain, and we will start that up as soon as I can get some time to start reading again. So thank you so much for being a part of season one, and we'll start up season two in about a week. Please listen. Please pass on to your friends. Go visit the website at oscz504.tech. Thank you.